Elizabeth Holmes, you've probably heard about her recently in the case of the United States, the Elizabeth A. Holmes et al. from the federal prosecution, which resulted in her conviction and sentencing this week. We talk about Elizabeth Holmes and her fraud involving health care and more specifically a new, supposedly new form of blood testing. Stay tuned. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to my White Collar Crime and Fraud podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gene Tausk, and it seems as always this year, I need to apologize once again for the lateness of this podcast. It has been a very busy year, and so unfortunately, some things have been put on the back burner, including this podcast. I apologize for that. I'm really grateful to all my listeners, especially those who have emailed me asking about it. Um, once again, as one of my law school professors once said, the law is a harsh mistress and waits for no man. In other words, if you're going to be a lawyer, you better learn to put in the hours. Anyway, um, once again, welcome back. And today we are discussing Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Elizabeth Holmes is now a convicted felon serving approximately 11 years in federal prison for her uh, now fraud convicted fraud actions, which resulted in the downfall of her company. We're going to talk about her company, Theranos, and specifically what it was that Elizabeth Holmes was accused of, and talk a little bit about um, not only healthcare fraud, but I guess you might say fraud, which involves new technologies. Unfortunately, the two seem to go hand in hand sometimes. New technologies often, well, Let's put it this way. If somebody has something new to bring to the market, that's obviously going to create a lot of interest and um, in, interest and possibly investment. I mean, that's the way our world is built on. People are making new things all the time. And certainly if somebody has something new to bring to the market, well, I think we can all believe or understand or appreciate that people are going to be interested in it, especially in the world of healthcare. I mean, after all, um, in our lives, all of us are sooner or later going to need healthcare of some sort or another. Uh, we come into this world needing health care when we're in a hospital, or most of us are in a hospital anyway, getting born, or at least surrounded by some type of medical practitioner. And as we grow older, the need for health care obviously arises and becomes more important. Not only that, um, some of us, of course, have diseases that uh, accompany us throughout our lives, which require health care. 
And it goes without saying, of course, uh, as COVID certainly has taught us, the need for health care is always there, whether we know about it or whether we don't, whether we think we need it, whether we know we need it, the need for health care is always there. So if somebody or some organization or some group of people have developed a type of new health care or a new drug or a new type of treatment or, as we're going to discuss today, a new type of blood analysis, well, that's going to create a lot of interest. Um, it goes without saying, of course, most people do not like to go to the doctor, dentist, any other kind of healthcare practitioner. Uh, first of all, it takes a great deal of time. If you're, if you work, certainly going to the doctor can eat up easily an entire morning or an entire afternoon. If one is in the hospital, it eats up even more time and to make matters even worse. There's always the uncertainty that we feel when we have to go to a doctor is he or she going to find something out there that is going to be of concern. Um, how do we, how do we deal with it? And so the need for healthcare is always going to be um, front and center to people's to grab people's attention. It's not like, for example, uh, let's say if somebody, I don't know, develops a new type of rocket. Um, now, keep in mind, I've read a lot of science fiction in my youth. I'm still a very big fan of science fiction. And I find rocketry very interesting. But let's face it, unless you're with a space program or with satellite communications or something of that nature, and the new rocket is not going to change our lives that much. Maybe in the future, as rocketry develops, it will um, have the potential to change our lives immediately. But it doesn't have the same immediate ring to it for that uh, healthcare does. So, in terms of healthcare development and healthcare applications, it's always going to attract our attention one way or another. Now, um, let's move on then and talk about Elizabeth Holmes. Um, she was an, an innovator. Um, healthcare innovator, and she founded a biotechnology company called Theranos, a healthcare a health technology company. And whenever you develop a company, unless the person is privately wealthy, which would be nice, of course, you're going to need venture capital. You're going to need people to invest into that company. And so that's what uh, Elizabeth Holmes did. She was able to find investors in investing in her company. And um, at one point, this company was um, valued at nine billion with a B dollars. That's uh, back in 2015. So, you know, from the start, or from look, looked like Elizabeth uh, Holmes had founded a company which had excellent potential and certainly was working its way into the future. What did Theranos have that made it so important to investors? That made it so valuable. Well, um, Theranos uh, back in 2003 claimed that it developed technology that would develop, that would revolutionize blood testing. Once again, if any of us have ever been to a doctor, which I'm sure is pretty much everyone, or been to a hospital, at some point they're going to need to draw your blood. Why is that? Well, aside from the fact that blood is, as I say, the very um, core of life, at least for us, your blood, there are many tests that can be run on blood to determine if you have diseases or the potential for diseases. A good example is the PSI test for uh, you're uh, for a um, prostate gland. It also has the ability to look for other types of possible cancers that are out there. It can test for cholesterol in the blood to see if the person has a, may have a heart condition. It can test for diabetes, obviously. It can test for different hormone levels, for different chemical levels, for different levels of how you, well your blood is oxygenated. There, blood, blood tests are just an incredibly important part of standard healthcare, and certainly any doctor, from a your general practitioner all the way to um, a specialist, is going to need your blood work done. Whether that's for a 
um, just a general visit. You're, you're really physical as it goes. Here in America, we have annual physicals. Or if you're going in for a surgery, your blood has to be drawn. And unfortunately, sometimes the amount of blood that's drawn is quite extensive. Um, everyone who's gone through it knows that they stick a needle in your vein, blood pops out, and it takes about a minute, maybe two minutes to collect all the blood in several vials. Then the needle is taken out, and you get a little bandage, sometimes a little smiley face on it, and off you go. It can be even more disturbing if a child has to have their blood taken because, of course, a child doesn't know what's going on. And people don't like needles anyway, but children, of course, are intensely afraid of needles for obvious reasons. And so having a child basically sit down and be forced to sit while the blood is drawn can be a very traumatic experience, not only for the child, but for the parents as well, as they seek to calm the child. And especially if a child sees that all his blood is, it seems like all his blood is being drawn, that can be very traumatic indeed. So Theronis, um stated that they had a new system whereby they could use a very small amount of blood, sometimes even as little as a pinprick or a finger prick, to do the same kind of testing that could be done with a large volume of blood. Now this, of course, is incredibly, if true, is incredibly important, incredibly um, revolutionary. Imagine just how this would change the field of medicine and medical testing if this were the case. Instead of having to stick a vein into stick a needle into a person's vein and collect all this blood, they could just do it. A doctor could just do it with a pinprick and a few drops of blood. Uh, certainly, myself included, I would be happy for such a result. I wouldn't have to worry. Well, worry is perhaps too strong a word. I wouldn't have to put up with a needle being stuck into my arm. If you have children, of course, that would be great as well. You know, a little pinprick is far more easier to appreciate or to take take and accept rather than a needle being stuck into a child's arm. And also, it goes without saying, of course, some people have a uh, their body system is made up where the veins are not easily shown and finding a vein can be very difficult. Um, I have a friend of mine who dreads getting blood taken because it's always, you know, finding the vein is in and of itself a five to seven minute process before they find the vein. And sometimes even then it doesn't work and they have to go looking for another vein and it can take up, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to find a vein. So not only is it annoying, it's painful, it takes a lot of time. And lo and behold, here comes Theronis along and saying, hey, look, we can do this with just a pinprick. Well, this goes without saying, of course, that this would attract the intention of many, many investors. I mean, just think of not only the potential, but also the uh, amount of uh, hospitals or health organizations or clinics or doctors who would be clamoring for such a thing, especially children's hospitals. This would be truly revolutionary. If indeed all it took was a pinprick and a few drops of blood, the amount of time and money that could be saved would be tremendous. And obviously the potential payout for investors would be enormous as well. It, um, it would really, really be pretty amazing. So back in 2003, Theranos um, uh, advertises this, that they've, they're developing or they're close to reaching, close to developing an or dependent. There's a lot of fuzzy news out there about this. Some news sources claim that, um, th that Elizabeth Holmes claimed they had already developed this technology. Well, was that the case? Obviously not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing my uh, broad my podcast on Elizabeth Holmes, and certainly she would not have been imprisoned. So, the um, from the very beginning, there are issues with this that um, many physicians, many bio, uh, biotechnology experts, many uh, medical experts said this. They didn't know how it could be done. Now, of course, just because somebody says it can't be done 
doesn't mean it, that it's true. I mean, people have been saying you can't do this since the dawn of time. How many people ridiculed the idea of powered flight? Even as late as the 1950s, um, well-known physicists were claiming that rockets would not work in space. Well, we obviously know how well that prediction worked out. So just because somebody says that um, you can't do this or they don't know how it can be done doesn't mean it can't be done, of course. However, once again, if you're going to say it can be done and demonstrate it can be done, the proof is on you. You're the one that has to demonstrate how, how this will happen, how this will occur. You're the one that has to produce the results. Not the person doubting what you can do. If you claim you can do it, you're the one that's going to have to produce the results. And so Elizabeth Holmes stuck by her guns and said, yes, we are going to do this. Yes, we are doing this. And so the procedure went forward. And from 2003, for a decade onward, uh, this company, Theranos, got millions of dollars in funding. Millions of dollars in funding. And don't forget what I said at the beginning of the podcast. Her company in 2015 was valued at $9 billion with a B dollars. So from 2003 until approximately about 2015, the company moved forward. And it goes without saying, of course, they didn't really produce anything to back up Ms. Theranos' claim that they actually had a blood test that could do this. If they had, then obviously, once again, we wouldn't be sitting here, but there would be some evidence that this blood test was there, but it never occurred. There is no evidence to show that um, they ever developed this revolutionary blood test that could be done with just a pinprick and a few drops of blood. However, from 2003 until 2015, that's quite an impressive period of time, about 13 years, it went forward, Theranos went forward claiming that they were developing this test or they had developed this test and people still invested in the company. Well, as usual, as my listeners to this podcast know, there's always uh, an unhappy ending right around the corner here. And in this case, in 2015, um, there began to be published a series of investigations about the company's technology claims and whether or not Ms. Holmes had misled investors. And this is when Theranos began to fall apart because without, don't forget, it's been about 13 years now since the investments here and since the claim, I'm sorry, of the, uh, what the blood test could do or the blood test was being developed and nothing had been produced. There was nothing out there yet to show that this blood test was out there and things began to spiral down from there. Um, earlier, before 2015, uh, various publications, including uh, Forbes, and for my, I assume everybody knows about Forbes magazine, but for my listeners who don't, Forbes is a magazine which is uh, devoted to articles and editorials and investigations concerning business and uh, business, the development of business. It's a very well-known publication here in the United States, and of course, it also has editions that are published across the globe. But anyway, uh, Forbes magazine had labeled uh, Ms. Theranos one of the youngest and wealthiest self-made billionaires in American history. That's quite a label, and that's in 2015. Um, well, how the fortunes did change. The next year, Fortune named Ms. Uh, Holmes as one of the world's 19 most disappointing leaders. In other words, um, Forbes magazine revised its estimate of Ms. Holmes. As a matter of fact, Forbes magazine uh, declared that she was not worth anything. So, could it go from $9 billion uh, worth estimated worth to zero 
that's quite a big fall. Um, and everything began to move south from there. In 2018, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission charged um, Elizabeth Holmes and her company with deceiving investors through massive fraud, through false or exaggerated claims about the company's blood testing technology. And Ms. Holmes was able to settle this complaint. It's a civil complaint, not a criminal complaint. We'll get to the criminal complaint later. But it was a civil complaint, and Ms. Holmes paid a $500,000 fine, returned um, 18.9 million shares of the company to its investors, and relinquished her uh, voting control of Theranos. And also, she accepted a 10-year ban from serving as an officer or director of a public company. In other words, if uh, there's this is a, this is very very um, general, but there's basically two types of companies we have in America: publicly traded and non-publicly traded. A non-publicly traded company means that the investors who own the company do not trade their shares in a in an stock exchange or in a, in a um, exchange of uh, shares, stocks, LLCs, what have you. It's a privately held company. So, for example. Um, if there are many, many corporations that just have one single shareholder. All 1,000 shares belong to a shareholder. And then there are publicly traded companies, which you know we all know about: Coca-Cola, Apple, Microsoft. Uh, you know, they're traded. These shares are traded publicly on various stock exchanges, like the New York Stock Exchange, Nasdaq, or what have you. And uh, Ms. Theron, Ms. Uh, Holmes accepted a 10-year ban from serving as an officer director of a public company, in other words, a publicly traded company. Well, unfortunately, um, things went downhill from there for Ms. Theranos as well. In June of 2018, a federal grand jury indicted Holmes and the former chief operating officer of uh, Theranos, uh, Ramesh Balwani, of nine counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And the um, Justice Department said the victims of these conspiracies were the investors and patients of Theranos because you know people invested in to Theranos with the understanding or with the assumption that this company was on the verge of making this technology and of course it turned out not to be true. So um, wire fraud we discussed this earlier but uh, it's worth um, discussing again what is wire fraud? Wire fraud is one of the workhorses of the um, U.S. Justice Department. That is to say. Wire fraud is often used as a uh, as a um, a um, a count or a criminal count that's used against a um, against against a uh, person or a company. The Justice Department tends to use this a lot, and um, why? Because it's applicable to all sorts of crimes. And wire fraud is defined under 18 United States Code Section 1343, and so it states whomever having devised or intending to devise any scheme or artifice to defraud or for obtaining money or property by means of false or fraudulent pretenses, representations or promises, transmits or causes to be transmitted by means of wire, radio, television, communication, and interstate or foreign commerce. Any writing, signs, signals, pictures, or sounds for the purpose of executing such scheme or artifice shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for not more than 20 years or both. If the violation affects a financial institution, such person shall be fined not more than a million dollars or imprisoned not more than 30 years or both. And so basically what wire fraud is, is anyone trying to scam other people or groups through any form of communication. Now, in this case, the wire fraud existed because um, the company, Theranos and Ms. Holmes, used uh, communication devices to broadcast um, about their company, about uh, 
Theranos and its supposed successes. And this was considered wire fraud. This is a definition of wire fraud. And conspiracy to commit wire fraud is where a person works with another individual, at least one other individual, to, cons to conspire to commit wire fraud. So these are very serious charges. And um, so she uh, went forward with this. And um, this, the, this is back in 2018. Um, now, she hired a very good criminal defense firm. And, and by the way, I probably mentioned this once or twice, but it certainly is worth mentioning again. What you see on TV when it comes to trials is very is not the case. OK, I mean, it, you can watch trials on nowadays on court TV or real trials anyway. And by, by the way, you all, an American always has the right to walk into a courtroom and watch a trial unless there's some extraordinary circumstance that prevents it. So it's actually easy to see a trial. But um, when it comes to federal trials, federal trials don't occur that often. Most federal cases settle by a plea bargain. And the reason being is that um, federal crimes are generally the government has a great deal of proof and avoiding those, avoiding a, a conviction is, um, can be very difficult. So um, it, uh, in this case, Ms. Holmes did hire a very good legal defense team and um, in 2020, in February of 2020, the defense team requested that the court drop all charges. Now, this this is not um, that this is not all un, that uncommon. I mean, the, trying to get the court to drop charges is pretty much part and parcel of what a defense attorney does. However, um, that uh, the judge did rule that one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and three counts of wire fraud would be dropped. So fewer charges um, were eventually um, leveled against Ms. Theron, Ms. Uh, Holmes. And the, the reason the judge dismissed some of these claims is because uh, some of Theronis's blood tests were paid for by medical insurance companies and the, med the patients were not actually deprived of any monies. So um, the judge concluded that uh, patients who either paid in full or paid for a test would be considered, pro would be considered possible fraud victims. And so there were 11 charges of wire fraud that eventually were prosecuted against uh, Ms. Holmes. But in May of 2020, um, prosecutors added a 12th fraud charge, which concerned test results from a patient in Arizona. So now you have 12 charges filed against Ms. Holmes. And um, once again, that went through a lot of legal wrangling. And finally, there were 11 um, indictments, uh, 11 charges that were brought against Ms. Holmes. And uh, the, the defense team tried to get these charges dismissed before trial. They were unsuccessful. And so um, they went, uh, these charges went forward. Now, keep in mind, it's not unusual as well. Don't forget, um, the uh, case began in 2018 and the sentencing was just this week. So then uh, the trial itself um, did not end until January. It, it began in um, 2021 and ended in, on January 3rd, 2022. And so it's not unusual for a case to take that long, especially a federal case, to take that long to develop and actually be brought to trial. And of course, sentencing was just this week. So the fact that the case began in 2018 and was not completed until this year, there's nothing really unusual about that with um, in terms of uh, federal crimes. Um, there were, during the trial itself, um, I, I did not watch the trial. Um, but there were dozens of witnesses uh, that were that testified on behalf of the government, and um, 
some of the uh, witnesses included former employees um, in, in, of Theranos and other um, uh, medical professionals who testified regarding the um, so-called accuracy of these blood tests. And I guess more important for the trial itself was that evidence was provided in, of Holmes' role in faking product demonstrations and falsifying validation reports. And um, there was audio and visual evidence as well. And also there was um, there were forged documents. And I guess uh, during the course of that the evidence was introduced to trial, Ms. Holmes did admit to personally manipulating these documents. And of course, that is very that 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 can be very poor. I wouldn't say it's the kiss of death for the defense, but it certainly makes the defense attorney's job a lot harder. And throughout the trial, Ms. Holmes, uh, apparently her legal team deflected the blame on others. And her one of her defenses, and this is interesting, was that Ms. Holmes was trying to tell the jury about a future at Theranos, saying that it's not a crime to talk about the possibilities of technology. And Ms. Holmes said that she herself was misled by her own staff. Well, Ms. Holmes is right. It's not a crime to talk about the future potential of a technology. Otherwise, no one would bring any technology forward. But once the issue here is not that Ms. Holmes is talking about the future potential of this supposedly revolutionary technology. The issue is that Ms. Holmes is misleading investors about just how accurate this technology is, just how close to being developed this technology is, and just how this technology can be used. If the investor reports are very clear saying that this technology has not gone forward yet, between 2003 and 2015, they're still developing it and giving out real reports, well, then the government would have had a much harder time in prosecuting their case. Because if an investor knows or should reasonably know that the technology just isn't moving forward, and this is an extremely risky investment because nothing is happening, well, and the investor still chooses to invest, well, that's on the investor. However, if the person is lying, if the company is lying about the potential, this potential technology and just how close they are to actually achieving results, well, that's a problem. And the prosecutors argued that Ms. Holmes' culpability crossed into fraud because she lied about the accuracy, types, and number of tests Theranos' machines could do. In other words, she lied about just how close this technology was to achieving its goals and whether or not the goals were even possible to achieve. Now, there is, of course, an argument that, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware, or investor beware in this case. And, of course, that's a very real, that's a very real defense. But if you invest in a company, U.S. law is pretty clear on this, as well as standards, that the investor has every right to know just what the product, supposed product is doing or how close it is to development. It's not upon, the investor does not, is not required to do all sorts of investigation to prove whether or not the product is actually close to development or actually doing what it's supposed to do. That's not the job of the investor. The investor has the right to rely on the reports and the information that is given by the company, in this case, Theranos, to determine just how close this, this is actually been coming to fruition. And the prosecutor summed up their argument by saying, as at so many of the forks in the road, Elizabeth Holmes chose the dishonest path. So she the prosecutors argued that she lied and did not give a full, uh, did not give honest answers, did not give honest information to the investors. And on January 3rd of this year, 2022, Ms. Holmes was found guilty on four counts of defrauding investors, three counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And um, 
the uh, she was not found not guilty on four counts of defrauding patients, three counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. So, um, I guess you can say she won on some of the counts, not all of them. But once again, that's the danger when it comes to federal crimes. The federal government throws a lot of crimes, a lot of charges at a person. So it's quite possible, as here in the case of Ms. Holmes, to be found not guilty on half the crimes, but guilty on the other half, and you're still going to jail. And as I mentioned, the jury returned the, I'm sorry, the sentencing was this week, and Ms. Holmes was sentenced to approximately 11 years in jail. So fraud, white collar fraud, white collar crime and fraud, where does this fit in? Well, unfortunately, this is a type of fraud where I'd like to call it's where people are hyped about the possibility of future success. The, uh, our entire, the entire American, well, certainly maybe not the entire, but certainly a great part of the American, um, industry is built on the idea that progress will be made in the future. And in this case, uh, Ms. Holmes had a, had an idea that this could actually, she had a test that could actually help out, um, people, with this type of blood test. And once again, there's nothing wrong with this. It had it been, had it succeeded, it would have revolutionized healthcare. But the problem was, of course, that help, that test was never, was never there. It wasn't developing. It probably wasn't going to develop in the near future. And the money that was pouring into the company was not giving the expected results. What happened to this money? Well, that's a fair question, but it's certainly the end result was that Theranos never fulfilled its ideal of its stated goals of developing a technology that could perform blood tests with just a few drops of blood. And that ultimately was where the fraud occurred here. That's ultimately why Miss Holmes was sentenced the way she was. It's ultimately why Miss Holmes lost her trial and is going to be serving this time in federal prison. The uh, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that there's always caveat emptor. Well, um, I suppose that's one way to end this podcast. The buyer beware, the investor beware. Um, it's not the purpose of this podcast to give financial advice or investment advice, but certainly it's worth considering that if, uh, if a person or a company is, deve- is, is investing in a research company like Theranos that has a stated goal of performing a very real test, and that, by the way, it's quite possible that such a test can exist in the future or the near future. There's nothing biologically impossible about that. But if after 13 years of making promise, there's, there's no results being shown, I think it's reasonable to assume that questions need to be asked. And also, there's another th- issue here as well. Just because a company is valued at a certain level does not mean that value actually existed. Um, during one of the financial crashes, I think it was Sam Walton who said, when he was told he'd lost all this money, he said, you know what? It was paper before, and it's paper now. And that's probably a neat, good way of looking at this. It's valuations are simply valuations of what somebody or a group of people think about a company. It doesn't mean it's actually true. And it's important to remember that for any type of investments. Anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. I hope everybody, my American listeners, have a great Thanksgiving. I look forward to talking to you soon.